0: Welcome to HIMSCAST. I'm here with the Healthcare Finance News Team, and we're doing a special edition of HIMSCAST about our theme month for the month of November, Patient Experience. We're going to talk about a recently released final CMS rule requiring uh, price transparency for providers. We're going to talk about a recent California law that establishes parity for telehealth payments. And we're going to talk a little bit more generally about how these regulatory developments play into the broader trend of consumerization in healthcare. But first, I'll let the team introduce themselves.
1: Hi, I'm Susan Morse. I'm Senior Editor for Healthcare Finance News, and I cover a lot of the payer topics.
2: And I'm Jeff Lagasse, Associate Editor with Healthcare Finance News. And
0: uh, yeah, excited to get started. Great. Thanks so much both for joining us. Sue, uh, let's start with your story that just broke this morning uh, about CMS's final rule. Now, this is something that's been in the works for a little while, right?
1: Oh, yeah. They've been expecting this, both providers and payers. Uh, CMS Administrator Seema Verma delayed the rule for providers uh, earlier this month, so everybody's been waiting, Uh, and she said, I'm going to release it with a rule for payers, so today... CMS released the final rule for providers, which requires them to list the prices, not only for their charge master prices, which has already been a rule that's been in effect since January 1st of this year, for them to post their charges online, but now it will require them to post their negotiated rates with payers. These are their secretly negotiated rates, and uh, obviously Uh, No provider or anyone, for that matter, wants to release rates that are negotiated in private. Also today, CMS released a rule towards payers. It's proposed to do the same thing, to release their negotiated rates, among other proposals. Um, It's getting pushback already. The American Hospital Association is one of four provider groups that have already said today they're filing a lawsuit against it to stop it from going forward.
0: So this is pretty unprecedented. I mean, CMS has made rules about price transparency before, but nothing quite on this scale, right?
1: Um, yes, this is new under the Trump administration uh, to, for for the price transparency. CMS is trying to get at having people know the price of what they pay for services. Everybody says in healthcare, it's the only place where you go and buy something without knowing what you're paying for it. Mm-hmm. So this is CMS's way. Of saying, okay, here's what you're going to pay for it. And when they came out with a Charge Master listing, the uh, providers said, well, that's not the prices consumers pay anyway. That doesn't take into account your, your health insurance, it just is the sort of the retail price of the goods or service. Now they're getting at, okay, this is what you're going to pay for out of pocket costs. That's what CMS is hoping to get at, but the American Hospital Association and other associations are saying this isn't going to work either.
0: So what's the basis for the lawsuit? What are they saying?
1: Um, they said that CMS is going beyond its legal authority.
0: Are they indecent?
1: Um I don't know. So far, uh, providers have won two other lawsuits on site neutral payments. And another one, and um, it hasn't stopped CMS from releasing a new site-neutral payment uh, rule. So CMS is saying we're pushing this through, whether you like it or not. Uh, it's up to the courts to decide whether they're gone beyond what what should be allowed.
0: What do you think, Jeff? Any other insight into this story on your part? I'm wondering
2: why these negotiated rates are you know kept so secret to begin with. Do you have any insight into that?
1: Well, it's like any other contract that you would have. Um, you know, if you enter into a private contract, you know, uh, this would be a little different, I suppose. But with your employer, do you want it out there what you're being paid and what your benefits are and anything else? Some contracts like that are open, but they're saying they're privately negotiated. Plus, it takes away... If you know what hospital X is paying for a service to a certain... Uh, payer, are you going to want to pay more than that? No. So CMS is saying this is going to lower prices because it's going to go down to the lowest price. But uh, providers, you know, it depends on how much clout you have, frankly, is what you pay in a negotiated contract for goods and services. It works that way throughout, I think, the free enterprise system.
2: I'm wondering, though, if this does ultimately have um, a benefit to consumers because, I mean, healthcare is really the only industry where, you know, you go into it, uh, you know, not necessarily knowing what you're going to pay. Uh, do you think that, I don't know, they, just my opinion, I think that, you know, consumers should have some sort of an
0: expectation as to what their responsibility is going to be.
1: Yes. And yeah.
0: To piggyback on that, I mean, there is a difference between a, a hospital making a price- Available and consumers actually being able to access that information. So even if this goes through, Mm -hmm. it's going to require probably some action by somebody to make this actually really actionable for the average person.
1: Right. And Jeff, you're absolutely right. That's what CMS has in mind. And they're making the rule uh, go into effect in 2021 to give hospitals time to figure out, Jonah, how they're going to actually get that to consumers. Mm
0: -hmm. So... Let's talk a little bit about telehealth reimbursement, uh, and then we'll jump back uh, and tie all this together, talk a little bit about patient experience and and consumerization of healthcare, and how these stories fit into that trend. Um, So, Jeff, you reported a story about a month ago about a California law um, that is pushing towards what we call parity, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that and how it fits into the larger kind of national story around telehealth reimbursement.
2: Well, basically, in most areas of the country, um, telehealth services are reimbursed at a lower rate um, than in-person visits, and what the bill is trying to do is, is trying to uh, you know, raise uh, those rates of reimbursement uh, up to a more, um, I guess, equitable level, um, which I think kind of makes more sense, um, you know, given the fact that telehealth has made strides in, you know, becoming a service that is, um, you know, equal in some ways um, to what an in-person visit could be. A perfect example of that would be uh, mental health uh, services, which tend to be conversation-based anyway. Um, But, you know, you go to um, a primary care provider and, you know, they have to do certain things that are, you know, physical in nature, they poke, they prod, Um, and, uh, you know, they're starting to sell some devices on the market that can do that um, at home as well, so even something like, you know, a primary care uh, visit um, is something that is feasible nowadays,
0: um, you know, through a a telehealth framework, so I think it makes sense. So this is also very much a a consumerization story, right, because one of the promises of telehealth is this increased convenience and people don't have to make the time for a doctor's visit. So how much of a barrier has the lack of reimbursement parity been to telehealth adoption by providers and by individuals?
2: Well, I think it really depends uh, on the region. I think one of the problems that we face right now is that there's sort of a a patchwork um, system right now where the states are really taking the lead on this. Um, and there's no real uh, federal uh, framework. Um, I think that's uh, sort of the next step and I think that's what the California law is intended to do is to be a bellwether for a larger change at the federal level. Um, So right now you have some areas where telehealth is uh, really robust and other areas where, uh, you know, maybe you have underserved populations that could really benefit from it but um, there's just no access to it because they're not getting reimbursed at a rate that makes sense for them to do business in those areas.
0: What about the federal government's reimbursement of telehealth? Sue, you mentioned something yes. about the changes recently around Medicare.
1: Right. Um, telehealth has been one of those subjects where sometimes the government is all in and sometimes it isn't. What has happened is the Congressional Budget Office has said telehealth is going to cost this much money. And it's in, I, I can't give you the number, but it's a lot of money. Because the government's fear and, and CMS has had this fear that if you use telehealth, you're still going to see your doctor. Mm-hmm. That if you, you know, if you're at work and you have a symptom, if you have a rash and you call your doctor and say, I have a rash, they're going to talk to you and then you're still going to go into the urgent care clinic after work. So it's overutilization, and they're trying to stop this. But others are saying now, no, this doctors who are, who are using it are saying, no, this isn't happening. That, that patients are not coming in, they're using telehealth the way it's meant to be used. Uh, One told me, he talked to a patient, by text, because everything's done by text now, that um, I I believe it was uh, a female patient, she said, I have this this, um, something on my leg or something like that. And he said, well, take a picture of it and, and send it to me so I can take a look and she texted, I can't, I'm in a meeting. So, (laughs) these things are, you know, so the pro of telehealth is employers like it because it keeps their their employees on the job instead of rushing off to an urgent care clinic. The government's role in it as far as money is, um, Medicare Advantage plans have long been more flexible with telehealth, Um, it's been one of the advantages of getting a Medicare Advantage plan and now legislation is coming up to to uh, have that extended to, to fee-for-service Medicare so that both will be able to offer telehealth in the home to seniors. So if it's a snowy day, they don't want to go out, they don't drive, they're in the home, they can still contact their physician.
0: So let's talk about healthcare consumerism. Let's start with price transparency and how that fits in. I know... Um, the promise of high deductible health plans was that when people had more skin in the game, when they were paying for more of their care, they would comparison shop more. They would behave more like consumers, and then the free market would drive down healthcare costs. And I think a lot of people feel that one of the reasons that hasn't happened is because it's not possible to behave like an intelligent consumer if you can't compare prices. <laughs> so, is this the is this the missing link that's going to get us to uh, to the invisible hand finally solving our our healthcare cost crisis.
1: It hasn't so far. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I write about this stuff. I was in the hospital in 2016 for a skiing accident for four nights. Did I ask anybody the price before they did things? No. In fact, when I was wheeled into the trauma unit, frankly, the doctors were looking at slides, talking to the ambulance driver, but nobody was really... The patient is still sometimes the last to know, I think. Most times, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, and I did what everybody else did when the bills came in. I threw them in the shoebox until I got the last one and then called my insurance company to figure it out. Are consumers calling on prices? I really don't know. Have you heard much about that, Jeff? Maybe those who don't have insurance are calling around. But if you have insurance, you depend on your insurance company to... To do what it says it's going to do, and then you pay up to the, the uh, deductible and whatever co-pays you have.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I, de- I think that you know, with most uh, healthcare consumers, there's still like a certain level of trust that like you know the financial thing will be you know settled on the provider end, and I'll just get the bill when it comes in and deal with it then. But yeah, yeah. but that doesn't work well, right? right. <laughs> No,
1: um, what we're hearing about is somebody said it's the end of PPO plans. When you you know, where you can just go to somebody without checking with your primary care doctor for a referral. Narrow networks are becoming more the norm, and I think all this has to do with with bringing down costs and trying. But as far as bringing deductibles down or premiums down, I, I don't know how much uh, that will help.
0: Yeah. Well. I think that it's it comes back to this idea of how do you go from cost transparency to, in terms of hospitals have to share this information to cost transparency in terms of this information is, is readily available to consumers. And we have a work, I guess a workflow is the wrong word, but a care flow uh, where people have the opportunity to ask how much something costs before they go in and do it. I mean, similar to your story, I went in earlier this year for a, a sinus MRI that took all of three seconds. They, You know, I put my head in the machine, took it right back <laughs> out, and, and went home, and then got a bill for $1,500 a few weeks later. <laughs> and uh, I, I, as a patient, this is pretty unfathomable. You think, how could that possibly cost that much, you know? Um, so... I think it'll take a long time to build any kind of price literacy or or price awareness but the first step has to be getting that information out
1: there yes um, uh, we keep hearing about disruption um, about uh, I I had a great conversation with Mark Bertolini uh, a week or two ago the former head of Aetna who has always been very frank and and opinionated even when he was still uh, CEO but he said Amazon is not disrupting it's when a consumer goes to Amazon and they find out Amazon knows all about your preferences it knows how much you have left on a gift card that you got 3 years ago even if it's like 62 cents and automatically applies it to your bill so you don't have to go find that gift card because you knew it no it's someplace lying around but and you know there's something of a credit He said they stop going elsewhere. Consumers when they find that experience are going to go back to Amazon. And he said that's what healthcare has to do, it has to offer that Amazon experience. Now Bertolini is saying nothing that healthcare doesn't know, the industry knows it needs to deliver a better patient experience and um, it's trying, but in healthcare as we all know it takes a long time sometimes for things to to change, but uh, I think providers and payers are trying to reach out to patients in different ways, either through, through apps or text or how they want to be communicated with um, digitally, tying their records together, making sure they have, I, I went to uh, Urgent Care the other day for cold symptoms. And I knew it was the wrong uh, Susan Morse in the system. I could tell by the birth date. But um, it had the wrong address, and they said, We'll fix it later. And they finally realized they had duplicate, another duplicate record. And this is happening everywhere um, of these duplicate records. So it doesn't help healthcare with its credibility to a patient when the patient doesn't even feel they're known by their healthcare. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think this is almost a separate conversation But, <laughs> but I have had a similar experience I have, a, as you know, I have an identical twin brother And uh, we, we go to different health systems um, But we have the same last name and the same birthday And I have occasionally gotten texts from his health system Reminding me about an appointment that is not my appointment <laughs> That's his appointment <laughs> um, So that, I mean, that certainly worries me <laughs> uh, When it happens and freaks him out a little when I text him and say, "Hey, you've got an appointment tomorrow." <laughs> 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 um, so, does telehealth fit into that vision that that Leaning was talking about, and that you were talking about, in terms of how do we make health, how do we make the healthcare experience more like Amazon? How do we make it more just sort of how do we make it more useful to the patient?
2: I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't know if it takes us, you know, all the way into the end zone, but maybe to the two-yard line. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you have a, a free market system like the one that, that we have, I mean, you need to, you know, come up with, uh, you know, ways to stay relevant and compete against, you know, some of these so-called disruptors like an Amazon. So if you're not offering what Amazon is going to be offering, then you're going to lose business to them. And so, you know, things like telehealth and telehealth services, I think, are, you know, a way to sort of bridge that gap.
1: I, I agree with that. I think that telehealth might be uh, a way for providers to to stay in the business when so many others are trying to take it away from them. Um, Bertolini, of course, talked about CVS uh, retail clinics and the health hubs because there's almost 2,000 CVS clinics, and he said we spend most of our waking hours not with our provider, but how many times do you go into your local pharmacy? So. He thinks the way to reach out to patients is through the pharmacy collaboration, which is obviously what Aetna did.
0: And what I've believed for a long time is that all of the digital health technologies that we write about, um, and, all of, and even things that don't quite fit into that bag, like retail clinics, CVS mini-clinics, uh, urgent care centers, I think all of it is going to eventually, hopefully, gel into sort of a, a funnel of care. You know where maybe your first stop is an AI chatbot um, which has incredible potential to, to scale to many many people and then maybe telehealth is your second stop and then maybe the minute clinic clinic is your third and of course if you are having a serious health condition where you need to go to the ER right now you can skip steps but I think that you know we'll be able to deal with our, our doctor shortage and we'll be able to improve the patient experience if we can unify all these technologies into, there's a healthcare process uh, where you get exactly the amount of care that you need. So let's wrap up. Any final thoughts on any of the topics we've discussed? What are you What are you
1: watching next? I mean, other than these lawsuits. Well, um, the lawsuit wasn't unexpected. Um, I also got something from America's Health Insurance Plans, who, uh, which also came out against the rule, but so far I haven't seen anything about any planned uh, litigation from them. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I mean, CMS is not doing well and uh, on, on their last um, couple of lawsuits. They've lost, but it hasn't stopped them from moving forward. So, um, you know, I'm watching that. Um, I think this disruption to health care is what everybody is is watching, everybody's waiting for Haven to come out with something and they did, came out with some pilots. Um, everybody's, yeah, looking for the next the next thing that's going to connect, as you said, digitally to uh, bring down costs, uh, vendors are in that space, uh, there's a lot going on.
2: And I'm sort of looking at the, um, the slow sort of retailification of uh, healthcare. Um, which you know I think is inevitable. I think uh, you know we have um, a populace nowadays that expects certain things, and they've been conditioned to expect certain things from the retail industry, from other retail, uh, you know, from other industries, um, just certain conveniences. Um, and a lot of providers are sort of being dragged into this new framework, uh, kicking and screaming. Um, but that is sort of the transition that I see happening, and so you know I expect that.
0: It'll be interesting to watch how the industry is able to adapt to that change. Great. Well, thank you so much for this stimulating conversation. And thank you all for listening. You can see these stories and more at healthcarefinancenews.com. Healthcare Finance News is, of course, a HIMSS publication. And this has been HIMSScast.